All right. We are back. Political theory and um, other stuff. If you want to yell at us, you can do that via Twitter. We're at PolytheoryPod. Or if you want a more intimate experience, you can email us at Gmail. And the address is and.um.otherstuff at gmail.com. And if you uh, want to get super intimate, you can check out our Patreon at Patreon backslash Poly Theory and um, other stuff. I'm Mike, and he's Paul, and we are doing fucking the Wendy Brown article called Neoliberalism, Conservatism, and De-Democratization. We are on the bottom of page 701, I believe. Yep. 701. And Paul, do you want to get us started here? Let's do it. Let's continue our Wendy Brown education session. Okay. Um, So starting off, apart from egalitarianism, civil liberties, fair elections, and the rule of law also losing their standing at the conjuncture of neoliberalism and neoconservatism, becoming instruments or symbols rather than treasures, indeed, uh, sorry, I lost my space. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, rather than trebles, indeed becoming wholly desacralized, even as they are rhetorically wielded as beacons of democracy. Neoliberalism doesn't require them, and the neoconservative priority of moral values and state power trumps them. What this suggests is that moral, that the moralism, statism, and authoritarianism of neoconservatism are profoundly enabled by neoliberal rationality, even as neoconservatism aims to limit and supplement some of neoliberalism's effects, and even as the two rationalities are not concordant. I think that's super, super important, that statement there. Neoconservatism gets a lot of its underlying shit from neoliberalism, even though at the same time it's trying to minimize maybe uh, some of neoliberalism's uh, most contradictory aspects, contradictory to neoconservatism. For sure. And I, yeah, and I'm probably wrong on it. I, I kind of think about it as like, you know, I realize that they're not, the rationale part of them isn't exactly in line. Um, but obviously the end goal is, it almost seems like, you know, two colors of the same flavor, if you will. Mm. Like mm-hmm. it's like watermelon, but one's red colored and one's green colored. So people fight over which one is better. With neoconservatism, they're like, well, conservatives generally wouldn't like these things. So we just have to uh, pile on the things they're usually up in arms about, and hopefully they'll ignore uh, the foundational thought process yep. behind it. Uh, yep. And it seemed yep. to have worked like a goddamn charm. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt. Um, neoliberalism does not simply produce a set of problems that neoconservatism addresses, or, as critics often claim, operate as neoconservatives' corporate-slash-economic plank. Rather, Neoliberal, neoliberal political rationality, which knows no political party, has inadvertently prepared the ground for profoundly anti-democratic political ideas and practices to take root in the culture and the subject. This is what permits neoconservatism to become more than a contestable political ideology or agenda whose star might rise or fall according to economic indicators, immigration politics, or success in imperial wars. Neoconservatism sown in the soil prepared by neoliberalism breeds a new political form, a specific modality of governance and citizenship, one whose incompatibility with even formal democratic practices and institutions does not spur a legitimation crisis because of the neoliberal devaluation of these practices and institutions that neoconservatism then consecrates man that is a a shitty cycle <laughs> Damn. 
sorry, my my ADD was going wild on that. What what's going on? So it's kind of like what neoliberalism has kind of you know laid out has the solution to things, uh, not relying on government, things of that nature. So then it talks about how neoconservatism, when it pushes even further things like obviously eschewing formal democratic practices or institutions, did not cause the crisis that it should have, or people maybe didn't notice because neoliberalism had already devalued those um, Mm. institutions and practices. So it was basically like neoliberalism set up, you know, if it was like bowling or something, neoliberalism knocked down eight pins. Uh, so when the two knocked down by neoconservatism went down, people were like, well, eight pins were already down. So uh, okay. that kind of, I mean, that was a terrible analogy. That's not my strong suit. Uh, but, um, no, no, I get uh, what you're saying. I, I definitely like Jenga am. or a house of, of cards or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, which is, I, I think, tragically very true. This argument varies not only from those that assimilate neoliberalism to neoconservatism, but also from those such as that advanced by Thomas Frank in What's the Matter with Kansas, which treat neoconservatives as duping the working poor and middle class with sincere values talk, using their complicity in votes to pursue a corporate agenda directly at odds with their interests. Frank argues that neocon leaders who talk Christ but walk corporate, that's a great line, talk Christ but walk corporate, uh, mobilize a working class constituency on the basis of moral issues never delivered on but which keep this constituency bound to them god damn so sad to read that hence the episodic revisitation of proposed constitutional amendments and other mostly doomed legislation to ban flag burning abortion homosexual unions stem cell research or the required teaching of evolution as science and commitments to secularism in public schools uh with the age of this article you would hope they'd be focused on other shit by now but Nope. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, for right now... They have moved on to some. Yeah, for right now, they're chilling on the homosexual thing. Are they, really though? focused on the transgender thing. Yeah, like, the instead, transgender I thing. Feel. I know there are movements, or maybe they've died down, but especially with the new Supreme Court justices to get that shit uh, re-examined. Okay. So it's not... It's not. It, it, I'd assume, theoretically, it's in the clear, um, but there are, are people who are very unhappy that that happened. Of course, yeah. While Frank is clearly correct about the neocon leadership's hand-waving over such issues and its pursuit of policy at odds with economic welfare of its working and middle-class base, his analysis assumes rather than queries assumes rather than queries the interests he imputes to his to this base. Neoliberal D. De-democratization produces a subject who may have no such interests, who may be more desirous of its own subjection and complicit in its subordination than any democratic subject could said to be. That is, even as Frank explains compellingly how the rich and powerful have exploited the disappointment and frustration of working and middle-class America, this explanation hews to a model of objective interests on one side and ideological (laughs) obfuscation and manipulation on the other. Thus, it resurrects a certain political hopefulness through the worn figure of false consciousness and eschews the more troubling possibility of an abject, unemancipatory, and anti-egalitarian subjective orientation amongst a significant swath of the American populace. (sighs) It's even more depressing to read this shit 15 years later or whatnot Mm -hmm. and be like, oh yeah, damn. To see this more clearly, let us revisit four aspects of neoliberal de-democratization, considering them now as the 
the seedbed of the new political form that I'm suggesting is produced at the intersection of neoliberal and neoconservative rationalities. 1. The devaluation of political autonomy. 2. The transformation of political problems into individual problems with market solutions. 3. The production of the consumer citizen as available to a heavy degree of governance and authority. And 4. The legitimation of statism. Uh, the first one is uh, political autonomy. As neoliberalism eliminates political autonomy and the independent value of political participation from its table of values, it jettisons the democratic principle of sharing power and governance among the among the demos or even... demos would that be demographics i'm not sure yeah i guess so or is it like some like weird slang for democrats those freaking demos Either way i think it's really weird that she has it like that but yeah. we've talked about how her it almost makes me wonder if she's like fucking uh, esl you know right or something just because the way that she words things is very unique uh the demos or even the more modest democrat value of self-legislation or political participation Herbermas writes that the liberal conception of freedom, and this is a quote, is linked with the uh, normatively diminished conception of the person. The, the concept of the person as a rational decider, in quotes, is not only independent of the idea of the moral person who determines her will through an insight into that is in the equal interests of all those affected. It is also independent of the concept of the citizen of a republic who participates in the public practice of self-legislation. Instead, democracy is equated with the existence of formal rights, especially private property rights, with the market and with voting. Its practice among the people, whether in choosing political representatives, social policies, or political parties, is effectively reduced to an individual consumer good, little different in kind or importance from other consumer goods. Neoliberalism also calculates that the use value of civil liberties is consumed in the enjoyment of private autonomy. It does not add political autonomy as a further dimension of freedom. This brings up that whole destiny debate on autonomy. Like, he's fine with all this because autonomy isn't that important. Okay. I hadn't even thought about that. This means not only that neoliberalism closes itself off from the institution that citizens can be free only if they regard themselves as authors and addressers of the uh, law at the same time, but also the civil liberties are but also that civil liberties are easily set aside in the pursuit of national moral in pursuit of a national moral project or whatever private autonomy is judged imperiled by issues of security all right yeah that's obviously that those have been sense. yeah and have been huge huge interesting things to watch play out obviously this was written post 9/11 post patriot act and things of that nature but just watching that tightrope of neoliberalism and neoconservatism also creating or expanding the NSA, expanding the Patriot Act. Like it is, it's a, uh, yeah, I'm glad she brought up that, that kind of contradiction within all of it. Yeah. And not that I'm saying that I understand it better, but um, she worded it much better than I ever could. Uh, right. Um, okay. So the next section is depolitization of social problems. 
As neoliberalism converts every political or social problem into market terms, it converts them into individual problems with market solutions. Examples in the United States are legion. What does that mean? Our legion. Like many? Okay. Like Our the legion. Like legion of demons or whatever. Like there's lots of okay. them. Okay. Okay. Our legion, colon, uh, bottled water as a response to contamination of water of the water table, private schools, charter schools, the voucher systems as a response to the collapse of quality public education, anti-theft devices, private security guards, and gated communities and nations as a response to the production of a throwaway class and intensifying economic inequality. Sorry, that reminds me, I just, uh, right before recording, read another one of those, you know, millennial advice articles. Uh, which was now that millennials are hitting middle age. We've got some 40-year-old millennials now. Um, they were just talking about how terrible the housing market is and how screwed everybody was. Uh, and then they did the standard. But we did find this couple uh, who was able to only spend $1 per year. Um, and as long as you are able to manage your budget to also only spend a dollar a year, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, good Thanks. Goal. Yeah. Boutique medicine as a response to crumbling healthcare provision. V chips as a response to the explosion of violent and pornographic material on every type of household screen. That was a little outdated. <laughs> right. Uh, ergonomic tools and technologies as a response to the world or the the work conditions of information capitalism, and of course, finally, differentiated and titrated pharmaceutical uh, antidepressants as a response to lives of meaninglessness or despair amidst wealth and freedom. This con conversion of socially or socially economically and politically produced problems into consumer items depoliticizes that uh, or what has been historically produced and it especially depoliticizes capitalism itself. Moreover, as neoliberal political rationality devolves both political problems and solutions from public to private, it further dis what's that uh, dis dissipates 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 political or public life. The project of navigating the social becomes entirely one of discerning, affording, and procuring a personal solution to every social uh, socially produced problem. God, that's a big thing that I have. A, it might be uh, not big for everybody else, but just that concept that they are, that part of neoliberalism, part of this individualist stuff is you individually having to deal with societal created problems. That's yep. something I yep, hadn't totally. really considered. But like, yeah, dude, this individualism doesn't work because the problems you have to deal with are socially um, made. Damn. Yeah, totally. And um, and it also, like, the whole um, depoliticizing stuff um, is Mark Fisher talked about how yeah. how that takes place as well and how, how that just makes it so much harder for us to deal with capitalism when it's taken out of the political realm. Yeah. When it's posited as something that's just natural, you know. Good call. Why bitch about gravity? Right. Gravity is just natural. Like, right. why bitch about capitalism? It's just natural. It's just how humans function. Yes. Yes. Goddamn. 
Um, uh, this is depolitization, depolitization. Oh, yeah. 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 This, this is depolitization or, yeah, depoliticalization on an unprecedented level. The economy is, is tailored to it. Uh, citizenship is organized by it. The media are dominated by it. And the political rationality of neoliberalism frames and endorses it. Thus, the much-discussed commitment of neoliberalism to privatization has ramifications that exceed the outsourcing of police forces, prisons, welfare, militaries, and schools on one side, and the corporate buyout of public endeavors and institutions on the other. Privatization as a value and practice penetrates deep into the the culture and the citizen subject. If we have a problem, we look to a product to solve it. Indeed, a good deal of our lives is devoted to researching, sharing, procuring, and upgrading these solutions. At this time, as a quick tour um, of any public university or an hour of uh, listening to, quote, public radio makes clear, Distinct thresholds between the corporate and the public domains are eroding, leaving only occasional conflict of interest violations fought out at relatively legalistic levels in their wake. Okay, so the governed citizen. uh, As neoliberalism produces the citizen on the model of entrepreneur and consumer, it simultaneously makes citizens available to extensive governance and heavy administrative authority. We've already seen that neoliberals themselves have a keen appreciation of the production of certain kinds of subjects and behaviors through market incentives and deterrence. But apart from the express governance aims, there is the basic critical theoretical insight that the choosing subject and the governed subject are far from opposites. Indeed, individual rational action on one side and state or religious authority on the other, while operating in different semiotic registers, are quite compatible. Frankfurt School intellectuals, and before them, Plato theorized the open compatibility between individual choice and political domination and depicted democratic subjects who are available to political tyranny or authoritarianism precisely because they are absorbed in a province of choice and need satisfaction that they mistake for freedom. And need satisfaction that they mistake for freedom. That's a very powerful line. Um, from a different angle, Foucault theorized a subject at once required to make its own life and heavily regulated in this making. This is what biopower and discipline together accomplish and what neoliberal governmentality achieves. Statism. As neoliberalism identifies the state which, with entrepreneurial and managerial functions and remakes the state on the model of the firm, it facilitates and legitimates arrogations of power by the state that would be unacceptable to a democratic culture or within a democratic table of values. It replaces structures, replaces strictures, I've never seen that word, on democrat proceduralism, I assume it means like... It's like structures. Yeah, yeah on democratic proceduralism and accountability with norms of good management, effectivity or profitability. Indeed, it sets aside legality, accountability, and truthfulness in favor of these criteria. Hence, for example, G.W. Bush's routine response to questions about whether the pretext for invading Iraq was founded and legitimate, did we get rid of Saddam or not, is the world a better place for it or not? God, and they don't even need to do that shit anymore. 
you know, it's gotten mm-hmm. to the point mm-hmm. where it's just like, well, we can't trust the government to be, well, not everybody. Huge portions of our population really just think businesses, everything should be ran like a business, you know? Like, that's yeah. what they loved yeah. about Trump. We're so sick of politicians. We need a businessman in the office. That's like, okay. Yep. Yeah. Or like you, know, you were talking about the post office people being like, well, yeah. you know, the the uh, post office hasn't had a profit in years. Or like, yeah. the post office isn't profitable. Or like, the New York subway system isn't profitable. No, it's like, wait I know. A These things shouldn't be profitable. <laughs> the what the fuck are you talking about? What's funny is I assume that a lot of people pushing for the post office to go away are fairly rural in nature um, without understanding that like now, you know, the post office has to exist because UPS and FedEx aren't going to pay for fucking shit rural offices in Montana and Wyoming and Alabama and stuff like that. Like, you're not going to be able to get your mail anymore. Like, that's why it doesn't... It also would make a profit if it wasn't for that ridiculous um, retirement stuff, which they're still managing to pull off. But it's like, this thing exists because for years, as a country, it was a huge problem to not be able to send mail. Like, the Pony Express and shit, those used to be, like, our heroes, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. willing to risk... Uh, safety, health, uh, all kinds of shit just to get mail. Uh, you know, it was one of the better places, one of the more awesome things about America early on. Um, and it's just that lack of understanding of why those things exist. Like, it's yep. just like, okay, I mean, get rid of it. But please understand that if a private company is what you want to take place of it, they're not going to go to places that aren't profitable. Like, you can yep. convince government entities they can exist without the need for profit. That's why they're awesome. Um, and also, like, if you just want to look at it logically, you can't get mad at private companies for not doing things that don't make a profit. Why would they do yep. that? Why would you, as a private company, yep. do anything that's not going to make a profit? The reality is, though, that we live, we are living creatures, and lots of things that are necessary for our life do not produce profits. No, I totally agree. So next time, we will be starting at the supplement of religion, and it looks like we might be able, uh, next episode might be to wrap the it last up. Uh, Wendy Brown episode. And boy, do we have uh, at least a project we're super excited about afterwards. Yes. Just enough to... Talk about it. We're not going to spoil anything. We know you're all sitting on the edge of your seats just waiting. Um, yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. And on a, a last side note, mostly in jest, but a man can dream. Uh, you know, we have noticed that we do have a, a good contingent of international listeners. Um, you know, we would be happy, just thrilled to come do any sort of live performance uh, if you just bought us some tickets. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll come, uh, um, you know, just make sure you got a translator for us. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Jesus Christ. Exactly. Uh, we do, um, we can, uh, manage really broken German and, and really broken Spanish. So, uh, also go. keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyhow, I look forward to, uh, wrapping up, uh, Wendy Brown next time. Hopefully. Yeah. As always, thanks again for learning with us and, and have a great day.